0: From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business.
1: Welcome to Leadership Development News. Profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
2: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Riley Nadler. Our co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenwood, will not be with us for, for this show, but between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today, we're really fortunate to have Dr. James Gottfirst. He's a PhD and internationally recognized money coach and keynote speaker. Given our, our, our economic times, uh, he's uh, well-thought-after Uh, expert around money and what people can best do, and he is president of Psychology of Money Consultants. It's a Los Angeles firm where he coaches and licenses financial services and mental health professionals and helps individuals and couples in this uh, specialty. He is a pioneer in the field uh, of practicing this for over 30 years. In 1982, he developed the Psychology of Money Profile, which is a standard and is used with professionals and public uh, to access the ten psychological money skills associated with financial success. He's also a clinical psychologist specializing in challenges with money, career, relationships, stress, and depression. And I've had the good fortune, you know, to have many conversations uh, with Dr. James Cotford and it will be very privileged to pick his brain about some of the money issues we have today. He's also a popular media guest who has appeared on Good Morning America, CNN, and the BBC, also has appeared in Time, Newsweek, Businessweek, Fortune, Forbes. He's on the faculty of the UCLA Extension and the College of Executive Coaching. He's also written a chapter in Stephen Covey's and Ken Blanchard's new book called Blueprint for Success. And so um, between uh, Kathy and I, we always want to bring you the best and evidence-based Research, you know, what is it that leaders are doing today, what's most important. And we know that leaders are the heartbeat of the organization. Most leaders, though, underestimate how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams can underperform. Doing just a few things differently can drastically improve their performance. So, like today on all our shows, we're going to talk about how to develop more leaders in organizations, what happy companies know, emotional intelligence, positive psychology strategies, Brain neuroscience, generation and gender differences, work life balance. Today's show will probably focus into that work life self management tools around money. And before we, we bring on Dr. James Gottfirst, first, a few things just about this evidence based uh, research. Why do we talk about leaders so much? Well, we know leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70 percent influence over their team. Emotions are contagious, and then the leader is the emotional thermostat. So think about the temperature in your room now. Well, the leader sets the temperature for the team. If they are calm, cool, collected, so is their team. If they're cold, short, and irritated, typically so are their team. And the key to being a top performer, someone we describe as being in a top 10%, usually is emotional intelligence. And when you look at emotional intelligence, IQ, and techno expertise, uh, emotional intelligence can contribute to the success about 85%. And we want to get people in the top 10%. Why? Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organization as leaders in the 11th through the 89th. And we know when you have training alone, it can help the organization in productivity, about 22% rise in productivity. But if you have training and coaching, it can help productivity uh, as much as 88%. And the key is a few of these micro-initiatives. Micro-initiatives create macro impacts. So if you want more information about Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership, and she has her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. And if you're interested in me, Dr. Ellie Nadler, my website is www.truenorthleadership for some free emotional intelligence assessments and tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and boot camps. So, like I mentioned, we have Dr. James Gottfried today, and he has helped develop the psychology of money profile. It's a standard that is used for professionals and the public to access 10 psychological money skills, and we're going to ask him uh, about those today. And so, Jim, welcome to the call. Thank
3: you, Radley. Glad to be here with you. Great.
2: Well, we're really glad to have you here. And we always like to ask most of our folks just First of all, you've been a psychologist. You've been in the field for a long time. Who's been some of the more influential people, thinkers, leaders in your life that have helped maybe shape some of your your coaching uh,
3: today? Okay. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Arbach, the uh, psychologist who is the uh, founder and director of the College of Executive Coaching, where I teach, um, is definitely uh, up there real high. Hmm. He's introduced me to executive coaching in the 90s. Although I've kept my private practice clinically, I do about 50% or more now in uh, executive coaching, money and wealth coaching. So he was instrumental in my transition uh, between the two fields. And Jeff is also a great role model. You talk about emotional intelligence. Um, He's been uh, out there in, in being able to communicate with me I remember one class I taught seven years ago, really for him on a teleclass, Uh and um, I had a very, very difficult student. Naturally, that would happen in my first class when I'm (laughs) least experienced. Right, right. So um, I was not able to contain the student as much as I felt was best for the interest of the class, Uh and I consulted with Jeff a couple of times. And he was able to help me deal with that student and convert the need for attention from a negative base to a constructive base, and uh, taught me some great life lessons in working with extremely difficult people. So I'll never forget that particular role model. And and before you go on to the next
2: person, we've we had Dr. Auerbach uh, probably about three four weeks ago on the line talking about the college, talking about uh, coaching. And you're right, you know, you and I both are on the faculty at the college of executive coaching, and he's a he's a great role model.
3: Yeah, well, I'm glad you had him on recently too. Um, my next role model, I'm isolating it down to three, Okay. would be Zora Gottfirst, my wife. Uh-huh. And um, she's a business and wealth coach, and she works as a senior consultant with the company Psychology and Money Consultants that I'm president of. And I think the thing I've gotten most from her in terms of leadership and coaching is I think she's more of a natural than just about anybody I've been able to work with with emotional intelligence appreciative inquiry, Mm. and leadership. Mm -hmm. So we co-mentor each other for more than a decade. But her tenaciousness in uh, challenging clients in a non-threatening way and in being diplomatically assertive has definitely paved the way for me to be more effective and accelerate clients' progress through uh, those approaches. And, of course, living with her as her husband, it's been quite effective for her in working with me. <laughs> so you've given her plenty of opportunities for practice, I gather. That's right. That's right. And benefited <laughs> as a result. Uh, good. Okay. And my, my third role model I selected is somebody whose career I've been following for about two to three years, um, and it's our president. Uh. I have to say that Barack Obama, I don't agree with all of his policies, of right. course, but his role-modeling effect in communication and leadership, yes. in bringing people together, just really amazes me. Mm-hmm. 35 years ago, really, my dissertation was on empathy training.
2: Oh.
3: Interesting. So ever since, one of my life visions has been to teach people from all over the world what empathy is, yeah. how to use it to create global understanding and tolerance. And right hopefully contribute toward world peace. Uh And I view Obama as doing just that. Mm. A couple days ago in our Los Angeles Times newspaper, the headlines were about the criteria that he's going to use to select that new Supreme Court justice. Yes. And I got a kick out of it, and huge type that the Times led with, Obama says empathy key to court pick.
2: You know, that's funny just because I've similar have been kind of profiling people high on ei and have done some profiles on obama <clears throat> and empathy came up and just like you i cut that piece out just <laughs> just to be able to kind of put it
3: in a resource file to kind of bring it back later exactly and you know the way he handled hillary and bill clinton after the long uh, yeah you know primary to bring out to bring them back so bill clinton would allow his uh, charitable foundation to be made public and to have them campaign for him and for Hillary to be
2: uh-huh. secretary
3: is great examples of leadership. Well, one of the things
2: I know and you and I have talked about this empathy and, and from the emotional intelligence model, what's what stars do in empathy and this is from the Hay Group and Daniel Goleman, Richard Boyatzis, is they're able to see see others perspective. You know, and that's kind of that behavior, if we break it down a behavioral term. But what I've seen that Obama does, and it really has helped me to, to communicate this to others, how does anybody know you see their perspective? You have to say their perspective. So a play on words, and Obama is a perfect example. He's constantly saying people's perspective. I know you Republicans might not agree with this. I know some of you may disagree with that. It really takes away some of the some of the wind and maybe their fire but also lets him appear to be very empathic.
3: Absolutely. And the research on empathy is that it diffuses anger, it soothes people, it quells them, and he, you know, is a master at achieving that effect on a global stage.
2: Wow, so that's good. I'm so glad you kind of you brought that in and we both have that article from the LA Times, I'm sure, sitting on our desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let me ask you a couple of different questions. I know in your bio, and this is new for me, because uh, we 're going to be talking about psychology of money, and I know probably recently you 've been on a, on a fair amount of shows and media because of the economic times and and stress that people uh, are feeling. But I think one of the things was it seemed like at at the age of nine you thought about the idea of developing the psychology of money, and this will give you maybe an opportunity to tell about that and maybe then get into what you know what is the psychology of money
3: okay that 's not a story that I tell that often, and I like to. Um, This is just a uh, serendipitous experience. I'm about nine years old. It's the summer of 57, and the roots of my interest, you know, started from this real-life experience. And I had no idea it would play out for the rest of my life. Um, You know, this is before best-selling books in psychology and self-help were mainstream, before psychologists took the airwaves, and I think decades before the formal, you know, um, basic uh, field of coaching had begun. Right. So the Russians had just launched the first satellite, Sputnik, and at that time, we were learning more about outer space than we knew about inner space. So here's the defining experience before my 10th birthday, and I call the story Bowling for Dollars. It dates me a little bit because there was a very popular TV show called Bowling for Dollars.
2: And and uh, James, you can hold on just one second because I want to hold the suspense because we're going to have to go to break, and we'll come right back to this experience that you had at 9 and Bowling dollars. Okay.
0: The bottom line in business. Voice America Business.
5: Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's Healthy People to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com.
4: Homeowners, Homeowners, real estate investors, investors. Bankers, bankers. Listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in.
0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: listening to leadership development news profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts doctors kathy greenberg and Rilly nadler we know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790 that number again is 1-866-472-5790 now let's get back to the show Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. James Gottfurst,
2: President of Psychology of Money. And just before the break, James, you were telling us about this experience, bowling for dollars when you were nine years old, and kind of this idea of psychology
3: of money. So now we have enough time for you to, to kind of fully explain it. Okay, so my friend was visiting, and I had this little bowling game that I made up out of cardboard in the back of shirts, and I made a gutter folded, and we had a marble for the ball. So we made a 50-cent bet, which was a lot back in the 57 for, for nine-year-olds. Right. So the winner got a, a buck. And in the bowling game, I was way ahead of him after several frames, and I, he started to cry. Uh-huh. It felt horrible. Talk about empathy. Right. First time over, and he's crying. So he felt hopeless, and he asked if I truly believed he could win, and he, he wanted to go home. See. So I told him, yes, I believe you can win. And I reminded him of my favorite book in childhood, The Little Engine That Could. Uh I encouraged him to say, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can. And he felt better, so we continued the game. I even began rooting and cheering for him. (laughs) So he found his self-confidence with that kind of emotional support. Uh And in my focus for him, I kind of lost my groove. Right. So in the end, he made an amazing comeback and won in the 10th frame. Uh-huh. Now I was shocked because, you know, I'm nine. Yeah. And I had no idea that the effect of this could be so great. And I had the ego of a nine-year-old. So by the end of the game, when I was starting to uh, lose it, I really wanted to win in that ninth or 10th frame. Uh-huh. Enough of, you know, supporting and empathizing with my right. guest. But I wasn't able to. So I was spooked about the power of that experience. And I wanted to learn how this was able to happen. Uh-huh. So that was the impetus. And in the next several years in junior high and early high school, I read everything I could about the subconscious mind.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And there were three books that uh, had a big effect on me. Maxwell Maltz's Psycho-Cybernetics, uh-huh. Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking, and my favorite of the three Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Uh-huh. So I learned about the self-fulfilling prophecy by the, you know, 6th grade and junior high in the positive imagery and momentum. Although it was just crystallizing, these books were really great role models and guides. So, what I put together a couple within a couple of years from those readings was that my friend's ability to ask for support mm. was a major turning point and my compassion helped him overcome his negative mindset. Or what I call poverty thinking, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about definitions, and that's a, those are big concepts with prosperity thinking in my model. And then once he became confident, he believed in himself, and he carried himself to victory with his own momentum. So I had had the home turf advantage because he was visiting me; he had never played the game. I was familiar with it, but I saw a reversal of momentum re- uh, rally because uh-huh. of the rooting and because of the empathy and the support. And it's hard to change momentum in life or in sports. And uh, this right. helped me understand. And I wasn't able to reverse the momentum after <laughs> it got going. And you couldn't
2: get it back and, and, and win. Yeah. Well, So that's good, especially, you know, for that inquisitive mind. And you and I know a psychologist, this idea of trying to uh, see people's behavior change. there's a lot of people who think, oh, you can't change behavior. So early on, you became very interested in how did this happen, and then especially around, the, you know, the idea of of money and winning. So that's great. That's a wonderful story. And so let's carry on from there. So in the psychology of money, uh, just with your ideas about how does money influence people? And maybe you can talk a little bit about
3: today in our economy and what you see going on. Okay. In a general way, money can influence people from wonderful things to sabotage and hurting themselves and others. I'll give you a, a general answer to the question, then I want to get more specific for individuals. It's on the positive side of the ledger. Money can influence people to become responsible, accountable, and independent. It can teach them to delay gratification when they go to school or graduate school and increase their self discipline. It can help them to work harder to attain their goals. It can motivate uh, when they feel more fulfilled or have an abundance to give to others who are less fortunate. And the nice thing money can do, too, is that you can help you delegate tasks that you dislike mm. um, or not good at so you can spend more time on what you love. Now, on the other side of the ledger, in a destructive way, money can influence people to marry or have relationships they otherwise would not have. Mm. Um, like Bernie Madoff with the pyramid scheme, right. the Ponzi scheme for $64 billion, dollars. Wow. money can motivate people to lie, cheat, steal, and in other more extreme cases, to kill. With integrity, money can motivate people to sell themselves out mm-hmm. and uh, also to manipulate and use others selfishly. Now, what I want to say is, obviously, money is neutral. It's not the cause of these types of behaviors, really. It's just little pieces of paper, plastic, or more recently, it's electronic digits like the Federal Reserve is utilizing to help bail out and uh, try to rescue the economy. The true culprit, the source of how money influences us, is what money represents in our minds. Mm -hmm. So from there, I can get more specific with you if you'd like.
2: Sure, sure. That's that's great. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Um, I have an exercise called the Meaning of Money Exercise, and it yields some quick information, the matter of a minute or two, some clues as to what money represents in people's mind or symbolizes, mm-hmm. and it's different for each person. And what I do is I give this word association test. Okay. So I say a word or two, and then the audience, if it's a talk or the individual, if it's a coaching session, says the first word that pops into your mind, whether or not it makes sense. So maybe we'll yeah. go through it. You want to do it? Sure. It takes a minute and then um you know your 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 listeners may go through it with us. So I'll I'll do it with you, but that's a great idea
2: if you're if you're listening, think about what first comes up to your mind. Uh maybe I'll just I'll pause just for a second before I you know give my answer just so you can think about what's gonna
3: come up to your mind. But go ahead. All right. And the quick example is if I say Donald Trump, you might say what, Raleigh? Money. Hotels. Okay. You just want one word though, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And other people might say apprentice, billionaire, right, or bad hair, whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. We won't go there. So here, here are the words now, and the words are private except for Riley, who's going to share them as a role model. Yeah. So you don't have to share unless you want to with somebody else. Are you ready? Yep. First word is money. Freedom. Okay. Second word, money. Purchasing. Okay. Next. Money. Green. Okay. Good. Money. Bank. Okay. And here's our last word <laughs> money. Vacation. Okay. So, based upon this quick sample, some of the meanings of money with first associations for Rally are freedom, purchasing, green, bank, and vacation, which is a nice variety. So, this gives insights into our perceptions and meanings of money for each of us. So, we sometimes will assume that mo- the, the money will mean the same thing to everyone, uh-huh. or even Rally, if it's more confusing, let's say somebody in the audience. Uh, pick the word purchasing like you did Right, they may have a different meaning to purchasing than you do uh-huh. one person could have an empowering meaning to purchasing meaning it be, is able to get them their life dreams materially or give them security enable them to go back to school um, you know positive meanings and another person could view purchasing as a horrendous thing where they have credit card debt and they don't budget and they're always behind the eight ball with money right so you have to go beyond what the word is and find out the meaning of those five words uh, that are associated with money to the individual who answers them.
2: So, so there would be follow-up questions. So you're not saying from my, from my five responses that you better say, oh, well, here's how you see
3: money. There would be kind of this would just be the entry exactly. And let's do one or two with you quickly okay. to illustrate. Yeah. All right. So for freedom with money, what is that uh, like for you? What does that represent or mean to you? It's the ability to, you
2: know, follow my impulses, dreams, um, not be so concerned about how am I going to pay for something, um, you know, but truly saying, oh, this looks great, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. I think um, some of the freedom for me would be probably two things. One is about learning,
3: and two is about going places. Okay. Going places like vacation? Like yeah. the fifth one. Yeah. Traveling. Like traveling, yeah. Okay, great. All right, so what we would begin to look into if we were having a coaching meeting would be that for Raleigh, freedom is his first word, so that's you know an important thing that it came up first. And it has an empowering or prosperity thinking meaning to Raleigh because it means he doesn't have to have, be concerned or have anxiety or stress with money. It liberates him. Right. And the two areas that came up for you, Raleigh, were learning. So, um, obviously, continuous, continuing education and growth and development is a value in your life. And then, uh, you know, vacations and travel. That sounds like, you know, the complement to uh, freedom and in, in learning would be uh-huh. to be able to do your passion um, in terms of uh, whatever way that manifests. Right, right. And then we look for the fifth meaning, which was vacation, and then we have some kind of corroboration And then, you know, we see that that must, uh, you know, have an important value to you, you know, with your money, too. We could explore why you love travel. We could talk about indigenous cultures, adventures, meeting different people, whatever you would come up with. So I just wanted to kind of give an overview with you briefly in terms of how this one-minute exercise uh, leads to an entry point to uh, self-exploration and self-discovery to give some of the meanings, which are the motivators, for people uh, to, to be influenced by money. Now, and those were mine. Are, are sometimes when you
2: do this with people, either coaching or in the presentations you give, are sometimes they not motivators? Are they kind of restrictive? Are they, is it negative? Yeah, it
3: varies tremendously. I have one set of responses that I call hippie values. Right. And I don't mean that derogatory, I mean it more descriptive. Uh huh. So, some people will have values that are uncomfortable with money. One of them at an extreme that was raised by hippies um, in an area of Los Angeles called Topanga Canyon. It is beautiful in, in one of the canyons. One of my clients uh, had learned that money was bad. Money was um, basically uh, for people that were superficial, and it was for material consumption. So that person had a lot of stumbling blocks and sabotage even though they had a lot of talent as an artist, um, and they were really not networking or marketing themselves productively. They were actually shooting themselves in the foot. And from those associations that I just talked to you, we got some clues into the way they were brought up and the meaning of uh, money, and they had to do some work in terms of you know reframing money to uh, empowerment, freedom like you said, and choice and things that uh, they had kind of been taught uh not to go to with money. Right, right? So money can have various meanings. One of the complexes of, of like, uh, three words would be integrity, fairness, and justice. And people that go into that area, uh, you know, use money to balance life and to treat people with respect um, and to be the opposite of the manipulator. So, you know, that's a, a very good motivator sure, for sure. those people. We're going to
2: go to a quick break. We're talking with Dr. James Scott first, and
0: we'll be right back. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business.
5: Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%? At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's Healthy People to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. adding fractions is nothing for real look these are denominators you multiply this one so that it's the same as that then you add them up man that's easy charles bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher but without money for college only half of his dream came true he's back in the old neighborhood well enough math i gotta deliver these sandwiches please support the united negro college fund A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council.
0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: listening to leadership development news profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts doctors kathy greenberg and Rilly nadler we know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790 that number again is 1-866-472-5790 now let's get back to the show
2: welcome back to leadership development news we're talking with dr james Scott First, he's the president of Psychology of Money. And, um, Jim, we we're talking about um, some of the experiences and stuff that you've had, and and especially as a child. And now let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we went through the five areas as far as association. But what is the Psychology of Money? And then we'll
3: talk about some of your your ways that you go about that. Okay, Raleigh. Uh, the, 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 the definition of Psychology of Money, according to me, is the process of understanding how people perceive their financial experiences in their own unique ways and how the differences in perceptions lead to financial success or disappointment Mm -hmm. rational thinking and behavior obviously will lead to more financial success while irrational thinking and behavior lead to more disappointment another real short expression for me for the psychology of money is the inner game of money Uh How our attitudes, beliefs and expectations and feelings lead to the self-fulfilling prophecy for better or worse, like in that bowling story experience I gave as a nine-year-old. So the importance of psychology and money is more than just understanding what happens. There are a number of proprietary tools that I've developed to teach people how to change their psychology and money from poverty thinking or repelling financial success to attracting it. And so maybe talk a little bit about some of those, um, just that thinking, prosperity thinking, and then
2: poverty thinking, and then maybe with, for the remainder we'll get into some of the tools. So what, what is, how would you describe prosperity and poverty thinking?
3: Okay, uh, certainly I didn't develop those terms. they were been around way before the 50s. But let me tell you again how I frame it. Prosperity thinking is a trusting attitude that things will work out. Mm. It means literally to align your beliefs, attitudes, expectations, and feelings toward realistic levels of these three words, abundance, optimism, and self-confidence. And when we do that, it increases our financial and personal self-esteem. And it's not just about being rich. It's more about being confident, optimistic, and comfortable with our ability to generate and manage money and really like your first word on the association Uh uh, quiz, to uh, be able to liberate and free people contrast, poverty thinking is a limited state of thinking rooted in fear and mistrust. It forecloses possibilities and opportunities and leaves us feeling that things will not work out. Feeling states associated with poverty thinking, uh, which is going on a lot in the media and in the public from the economic meltdown, discomfort, worry, fear, and this diminishes our ability to handle money and can lead to a self-fulfilling, vicious cycle. And it's not just about being financially deprived. It's about being tight with your generosity and your ability to uh, help others mm. and to be able to give, as well as the receivership muscle of taking money in. I see. Okay. And, and so at this point, I, mean, I think most of us know this, but what do you think are some of the major causes
2: of financial stress, and then we'll get into
3: some of the, the tools that you use. Okay. Well, today they're very uh, specified and uh, clearer than they are um, in, in usual. Here's, here's what I think the major causes are. This is a general one. When money becomes too big a part, really, of our self-esteem, mm. identity, or ego, uh-huh. then it cuts into our relationships or living in the present moment our life balance, and even our health sometimes. So when you're too involved with identity and ego, that causes stress. Another cause is to not be content with what you have and wanting more. If you have an unfillable need or a need that's a void internally and you need to keep filling it with external purchases, then it's never enough, so you're going to feel financial stress in any economy. And then... A third area, this is maybe the most important area from my material, is that, and it came from my psychology and money profile, that if people have poor or unrealistic financial planning skill, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be in stress. It's kind of like to get to your destination, you need a roadmap. So the roadmap represents the plan and the small action steps or micro Mm -hmm. initiatives to get you there. Mm -hmm. But if the plan is not realistic... It's like a map, if you had a map to uh, go to drive from Los Angeles to Denver and you just took it as the uh, crow flies, there would be no ro- roads through parts of the Rocky Mountains. that was the shortest distance. Oh, OK. So it has to be realistic and planned. When you have those two, you're going to have a lot of self-made financial success. People tend to score low or on one or both of those on my profile that come for financial uh, coaching, and when you do then you, uh, you know, tend to have a, a lot of anxiety and stress.
2: So you're talking about the, uh, your financial profile, and, and uh, this is a good place to say if people were interested in knowing more about that, how would they get a hold of you and if they wanted to find out what their financial money profile is?
3: Okay, well, that's an Internet-given instrument, and the, the best ways to get a hold of me for that or anything else you're interested in is the website, which is www.psychologyofmoney.com. And, of course, psychology of money is one word. I have a lot of media interviews, a lot of proprietary information that's all complimentary, so they could uh, learn a lot more about it and see how they connect. There are classes, there are products, there's uh, coaching and uh, keynote speeches, etc. And then I've instituted recently, to reach more people because of the financial crisis, a blog at psychologyofmoneyblog.com. Every one or two weeks I'm writing something where I'm trying to be entertaining giving case stories uh, for people to connect to Mm -hmm. um, in terms of news events like financial uh, um, dishonesty, like Madoff's story, and how that affects the common person, what lessons we can learn from it. And then the last way to get a hold of me is the uh, email, psychmoney at AOL.com, or the office phone number to round out every way to touch me is 310-828-1818. Well, thank you,
2: Jim. This is great. Just for people who people want to continue. And so let's talk about some of the actions. And
3: I know one of the things we want to talk about, what kind of small actions can people take to get to some of their financial goals? Okay. Um, what I have found, speaking of small actions, is that a lot of people have paralysis and avoidance behavior and procrastination moving along their action steps to their goals. Okay. And some have that with setting their goals. So... The best way I've learned to help people is to deal with what I call Dr. Bernie Seligman, former president of APA, Uh the uh, developer of learned helplessness and learned optimism. So according to Seligman, learned helplessness is the giving up reaction, the quitting response that follows the belief that whatever you do doesn't matter. Right. Uh, One of his human studies was to take two groups of people of around equal math intelligence to give group one challenging questions at the beginning and then five impossible questions at the end to give group two the five impossible questions at the beginning and the challenging solvable questions at the end. And it's pretty obvious what group you think scored higher. Right, right. Okay, so what happened is the group that had the impossible questions tried their hardest, failed, redoubled their efforts, failed, and then you know, put out their final ounces of, of resiliency and failed, and then they didn't get to solve the solvable, challenging ones either. So I see this happening with money all the time. People get overwhelmed, confused with the world of money and investing, and that's where the small action steps keep us on track. Archimedes said, give me a lever big enough and I'll move the world. And I say, give me a behavior small enough and I'll remove a client's obstacles. Hmm. So we will subdivide goals. If right. a client's goal is to get a financial planner or advisor and to get a life plan um, and to learn how to invest, to build their retirement, their college funding for their children, or whatever, that's a pretty complex, challenging set of goals. So one of the <clears throat> small action steps would be, are you willing to talk to some of your friends and see if they have any recommendations of a professional uh, advisor who have helped them? And then somewhere you break it down. If they say they're not, you break it down you know, even more. Would you be receptive if I gave you an idea of how to <clears throat> you know, locate uh, an advisor? And then you could you know, see where they say yes. And where they keep saying no... Um, even to the idea of calling a single friend and asking for advice or their accountant, um, that would be extreme procrastination and they would have a lot of paralysis and learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I would want to explore the obstacles. You know, What's in the way of you calling your best friend and asking for a financial uh, recommendation? And then we might get into insecurity about their financial picture, whatever jealousy of their best friend who's highly successful, and then we would baby-step it more. So whatever your goal is, it can be reduced to micro-initiatives.
2: So we're going to kind of finding out what some of those obstacles are and, and get them moving. And, and we're going to have to take our, our last break, and we'll be right back. This is Leadership Development News.
0: The Bottom Line in Business. Voice America Business. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Doctors Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We have the pleasure of talking to Dr. James Cofferst and he is the president of Psychology of Money. And in today's uh, economic stress and crisis that we have, coming up with the right kind of mindset uh, is very impor- important and some of the tools that you can get from Dr. James cofferst So, um, Dr. Cofferst we were saying uh, before we took the break um, some of the key things about financial stress. Maybe you can give us some examples. You mentioned what is prosperity and poverty thinking, but give us some examples about maybe each of those.
3: All right. I want to give an example that's to me remarkable about the specificity of financial stress and negative poverty thinking manifesting a self-fulfilling prophecy into something bad. Okay. This is an interesting story. I know a woman who borrowed her husband's new Cadillac to do some errands for him. And the car had four expensive white wall tires. And her husband just got one of the tires replaced for $500. And he warned her, don't damage the tire. And he Uh looked her in the eye and said, don't hurt that tire. That costs $500. So the wife was planted with a fear and an anxiety of not damaging the tire. And she did all the errands for him throughout the day with that anxiety. So finally, she got home with the car in pristine condition. And then all of a sudden, a large, uh, I'm sorry, a loud noise rang out, and the husband was watching her go from the front entering the driveway to the back of the extended driveway, and he saw her drive up the driveway, but he never saw her finish at the end of the driveway, and he heard the loud boom. What happened is the wife hit a protruding pipe several inches from the house, Uh and the right front tire popped like a balloon hitting a sewing needle. So what happened, really, is she created the perfect accident. She punctured the right front tire. Her husband said, don't hurt or damage. That was the tire. Uh The rest of the car was untouched. So to me, that was amazing. And when the brain hears the word don't or a negative, it doesn't resonate as much as it does the positives. So if we say, don't think of a pink elephant right now, we tend to think of a pink elephant and then dismiss it. So his anxiety... And his anger and his voice and his veins protruding helped program her into devising the perfect accident. And um, it was just uh, an amazing thing. So you've got to be aware that when you say don't, especially with anxiety in it, it's going to likely have the opposite effect. Uh-huh.
2: And that, that, that's what kind of gets triggered in the brain.
3: Yes, exactly. How about, now, do
2: you have an example of uh, prosperity thinking? And this ties into, an, it, you know, this idea that I'm sure you've been asked before about uh, the secret and positive yep. psychology, and I think there's some benefits, but maybe you can also talk about, you know, how, how does that fit in, uh, you know, with prosperity thinking? Is there some limits to some of
3: the stuff we see in the, in the secret? Yeah, great question. I love the secret, but I think it uh, definitely doesn't go all the way. Mm-hmm. And the reason it doesn't go all the way, and then I'll get into the positives, and we can get into some prosperity thinking and some more uplift Um, The Secret talks about using this positive thinking and this belief in yourself and visualization to manifest success, and that does work. What it omits is what about the person who's had a lot of trauma emotionally or financial trauma, a lot of loss, a lot of anxiety in their childhood, and a lot of adversity and lack of guidance with money. Mm. A person that has a lot of negative poverty experiencing in them cannot necessarily sustain the prosperity thinking on their own. Uh-huh. Uh, they're going to need more guidance. They're going to need to go through what we call those micro-initiatives and overcome a huge amount of learned helplessness. So it's not as easy as just programming yourself with right. positivity. Yeah. So that's where I think the secret falls short. But let's get into prosperity thinking. Okay. I mentioned a little earlier that I've started a blog. Uh-huh. So in my last blog, I had a contest to see if the readers could come up with an example of how prosperity thinking manifested in financial success for themselves. But I also asked him to think of an example of how poverty thinking may have interfered and held back the financial success. So let me get into Mark's story briefly. This guy's a school teacher for seven years, and his friends took him skiing in the seventh year of his teaching career, and he was hooked. The only challenge was he couldn't afford to ski very often on his salary. So he learned one day at a travel convention that if he got 15 students to go on a trip with him, he could ski for free. Hmm. So he had a lot of belief in himself, and he had a lot of passion driving the desire to ski. So he talked to some students in his classes, and he easily got 15 to sign up. And that allowed him to have his free trip. Well, that piece of momentum and good energy and how easily it happened got him to see that if he printed brochures and word of mouth and he put the word out in a a more um, voluminous way, that he could actually make money from doing a ski trip. So he was able to do that, and then after the ski trips were successful, he branched out into other travel with young adults. And it led to a career of forming a... Uh, tour company. Where since then, in the last ten years, he's traveled around the world, and he has a loyal clientele. Those high school students are now adults with good earning power. Their parents have gone on trips, and his belief in himself and his willingness to risk each level of of moving up to uh, a greater uh, amount of uh, risk and uh, success has led him to grow this business into a national company. Mm. So that's how he turned almost nothing into a new career. That's great. And it's a good example of starting with some small steps like you described earlier. Exactly. Now, he had to answer also to win the contest. He had to answer, how did poverty thinking hold him back? Mm-hmm. And what he he had trouble. He said before he read the blog, he didn't think he had any poverty thinking. But in examining that, he realized that even though he had all the prosperity thinking and belief in himself and to take risk to, take those uh, small action steps to grow the business um, you know, to a national company, he realized that he had poverty thinking because he had anxiety and insecurity about his markup of how much profit he would make per trip. Mm. So he made a very minimal um, amount of profit per student or adult who went on his trips. I see, so what he, uh, what he could have done, yeah. Yeah, and then he, it took him years to realize that, because clients would say to him, how can you afford this price? You're better than everybody else. And with that kind of feedback, he could have experimented again in a small action step to raise his prices a little bit. Right. But once he had the aha yeah. and took the risk there, um, his income went up 50% in one year. Gee. And the reason it is, because when you're self-employed, as a lot of our listeners know, you have a fixed overhead that you have to pay for everything, and then each dollar above that fixed amount is profit. Right. So he only had a 10% markup, and when he went to a 15 or 20% markup, um, even 15% made his profits go up 50%. Sure, sure. And then that accelerated his ability to take risks further and to grow his company and to do river raft trips, trips to Africa, Asia, etc. Oh. So he leveraged that success even more. So it makes a huge difference in results. Well, that's a great example.
2: And then uh, before we kind of come to the close, what would you say are some of the best ways that people
3: can make good decisions about their money? Okay. Um, Number one, a no-brainer, but a lot of people don't do it, is to surround yourself with a support system or what Napoleon Hill calls in Think and Grow Rich a mastermind alliance of prosperity thinkers to nurture and guide you. So I have a group of friends. Sometimes we meet as a group. Sometimes we just have phone calls where we're all committed to supporting each other with prosperity thinking, shoring up our poverty thinking, and manifesting success in our careers. So that's a very powerful thing to do.
2: And so I think that you said the mastermind. Sometimes you get that with some of these coaching groups and stuff. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The other thing, I think, is to take this psychology and money profile because it reveals ten scores that I call psychological money skills that are highly associated with self-made financial success. Hmm. If you score low, you're going to tend to be sabotaging yourself on that one of the ten skills. And if you score high, it means you're empowered and you're going to be moving yourself forward. And these skills, really, are trainable. They're not like traits that yeah. need many years of change or would be fixed in, in adulthood. And I have experiential and behavioral exercises that I take people through so they can be able to overcome their learned helplessness and get specific guidance and tools to increase their scores. The two of the ten skills that are the most predictive of financial success are two I mentioned earlier in this interview, uh-huh. planning and realistic expectations. And those are two that a lot of people score medium or low on. So I mentioned how necessary right. they are. And if you get a low score, you get exercises. You get a high score, you just get patted on the back and said, okay, use that skill. You don't need exercises. Right. Well, this is, this is perfect. And if you want to just mention again how people can get back in touch with you,
2: uh,
3: you know, if they want to do your psychology of money profile, Okay, the website is psychologyofmoney.com, and then that also includes a YouTube channel and media press interviews, so there's a ton of complimentary information. The blog is psychologyofmoneyblog.com, and the email is psychmoney at AOL.com, and the office phone number for those that don't have their high tech stuff with them or they're down is three one zero eight two eight one eight one eight. Well, so this has been
2: uh, Dr. James first, and he's president of Psychology My Jim, thank you
3: very much. This has been, this has been excellent. Okay, Raleigh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you, you did a great job, and we're glad to have you. Okay. So
2: this is Leadership Development News, uh, signing off for now. Thank you very much for tuning in.